Welcome to the fifth season of Better News, a series of special podcasts It's All Journalism is producing in partnership with the American Press Institute. I'm your host, Michael O'Connell. Better News offers strategies and case studies to help transform newsrooms. The effort is fueled by the American Press Institute and the Knight Lenfest Local News Transformation Fund. The goal of this podcast series is to highlight some of the useful research the American Press Institute has published as part of its Better News initiative. If you want more information about the initiative, visit betternews.org. As a more than 200-year-old institution, the Fayetteville Observer hasn't always done right by Black residents in its coverage area. Better News recently published a report about a new initiative at the Observer, which includes partnerships and mobile newsrooms to help grow trust with the Black community. The Observer's lead editor, Bette Hudson, and opinion editor, Myron Pitts, are here to talk about that initiative. Beth and Myron, welcome to the Better News Podcast. Good to be here, Michael. Thank you. Thanks for having us, Michael. Okay, so before we get into the discussion of the report, let's find out a, a little bit about each of you. Let's start with Beth. Beth, tell me, you know, what got you interested in journalism and, you know, what was the road that led you to the Fayetteville Observer? I grew up in a very um, a news literate household, and so I was always aware of current events. I was also... Writing has always been something that was a strength of mine. I didn't initially go to college majoring in journalism. I started out in psychology, ended up changing my major though. And I'm really glad I did because I've you know, been doing this ever since. I started out at my hometown newspaper in Florence, South Carolina, the morning news on their copy desk and came here in 2008. Also on the copy desk, held a, a few positions since then. Now my current position is the news director and lead editor. Okay, Myron, what's your story? How'd you get interested in journalism? You know, how'd you end up the opinion editor at The Observer? I am a Fayetteville native. I also grew up in a household that really valued news. When I was growing up, we actually had two papers in Fayetteville, a morning paper and an evening paper. And we subscribed to the evening paper, The Fayetteville Observer. Those two merged many years ago. I wanted to be in journalism since I was in the eighth grade. I was the art editor of the, the school newspaper. I did cartoons for the paper. And there was a dance craze called the electric boogie, popping, break dance, and whatever you want to call it. And I remember distinctly asking my journalism teacher, you know, I said, I know I'm the art editor, but can I write about this? Because I was so excited about it. And once I saw my byline, I just, you know, always wanted to do it. So went to UNC. I worked after graduation in the D.C. area for USA Weekend, which is a now defunct publication, very similar to Parade, also Gannett-owned. And I was there for about just under five years and then came back home to report on Western Cumberland County, West Fayetteville, for our weekends, one of our weekend sections. And like Beth, I've had various roles at the paper and I'm currently, as mentioned, the opinion editor. So that's my story. I don't often get an opinion editor on the podcast. So let me ask you a couple of questions about that. When you take on a job like that, what is it that, you know, how is it different? Is it different from your approach for writing other types of stories? It can be. North Carolina is a great news state and Fayetteville is a great news town. So there's just plenty of things that I can weigh in on. I think one thing that's just different about my job currently is that I deal directly with some freelance opinion writers that we have. We have two very good ones 
we are blessed that they have two very different approaches to opinion. Uh, one, they're both African American men. One, though, is quite conservative, and one is very young, very progressive. And his background is uh, he was a street activist during the Black Lives Matter movement. So they both bring very different opinions, and it is really been rewarding to me to work with them. And then in terms of content, we have a Sunday section called Community Conversations, where we have things I write, things they write, and then submitted pieces from the community. And we also have some pieces that come in from other parts of North Carolina, if it's a statewide issue. So it's a varied job, and I really enjoy that that aspect of it. So what, what do you think about the conversation in journalism these days, where as people question, you know, whether a newspaper is trustworthy or whether you can trust their content, there are many people who are saying, it says, well, maybe to avoid confusion, we, we get away from writing opinions or stories that take sides. Yeah, yeah. These, these are issues that uh, certainly Gannett at the corporate level has dealt with and we have dealt with as a local newspaper for quite some time. One way we handle that, Michael, is we draw a very hard line between what's opinion and what's on the news side. It's extremely visible on the website where we have opinion marked as opinion. <laughs> and I think there's a big yellow bar behind it. So there's really no confusion. And as I mentioned in the print edition, the opinion section is a four-page section that's marked community conversations. There's a little statement about me, a statement of principles, so to speak. So it, it's very clear that if you're in that section, you're going to be hearing opinions. This, this isn't hard news. But yeah, it, it is something that, we, uh, that we've always been conscious of, and we, we tried to keep that wall there. So let me ask Beth at this point. So I mentioned in the introduction that the, you know, the observer is an institution, you know, how was it viewed in the past? You know, what was the kind of role in the community? Well, you know, it's, it's 200 years old. So if we're going really far back, when Sherman was, you know, blazing a trail through the South, he came to the observer and specifically set the observer on fire because he did not like the successionist views of the editor at the the publisher and editor at the time. So we published ads, you know, for enslaved people in our paper. So we go that far back and there's that kind of harm. And I think we get to more recent times and it wasn't anything intentional, but I think we weren't thinking intentionally about making sure we're covering the diversity of the people in our community. And I think it was noticed. And I don't think we realized how much it was noticed until we actually started down this path because we heard from so many people in the community about what we had been accomplishing lately. Right. And one example, Michael, that, that Beth and I like to share that, that kind of shows the inadequacy of, of our previous coverage of the Black community in particular is we had a, our former restaurant retail reporter was doing a history of the of the food scene in Fayetteville. So he went way back and he was a very conscientious researcher. And so he went back into all our old clips. And what he found is there was very little, almost nothing about some of the black restaurants from back in the day. And there were black restaurants. I mean, because Fayetteville has had a diverse population for, you know, since almost the beginning. And it was really illustrative of a lot of the coverage back then. The African-American community just was not covered so many aspects of it, unless it was a situation like a crime aspect or some that got into the political side. 
we've always had pretty decent coverage of African-American churches. We're a very church-focused community, or used to be, still are to some degree. But in terms of all those other categories of stories, the coverage just wasn't there. And that's one big reset that we've had over the last few years. And we've already seen some, some dividends from that. It's interesting. You mentioned it was the food reporting that, that kind of came out. When you just think about the African-American contribution to you know Southern cuisine, one would imagine there would be restaurants that were really kind of important and influential and not covering that you know, going back and seeing that. So you become aware, or both of you become aware, the editorial team becomes aware that there's this sort of disparity. What steps do you take? What's the the plan? Well, we had a few things that we started with. First of all, we did a source, we conducted a source audit. We were pretty pleased with what we found from that. You know, it did, it mirrored the population for the most part. We We had some work to do as far as sourcing with women, but for the most part, we did pretty well. We also knew that we couldn't just tell people we were going to change things. We needed to listen. We needed to hear from them what they wanted to see from us. So one of the first things we did was to set up some audience listening sessions some virtual audience listening sessions. And we made it very clear, we're here to hear your critiques. We don't want you to just tell us what you like about us. Please be honest. We're trying to do better. And we got some really great results from that. It resulted in stories, really good connections. And, you know, these people know that know that we're listening still, and they've connected us with other people. It's been really gratifying to see that come out. We also did a few mobile newsrooms. Those were great. We loved being out in the community. That was, we held two of those, each at recreation centers in different parts of the city invited people to come down and just talk to us about what's on, you know, what's on their mind. What do you want to hear from us? Anything, you know, news related you want to talk to us about? Again, made really good connections. I would add about the the mobile newsrooms, and I'm sure Beth would concur, the, the staff really embraced these because, you know, we'd spend a week at the rec center and it really was a mobile newsroom and that we actually did our work from there. It was our office for that week. And I guess... We got a little bit lucky in that we chose rec centers because those are actually are, are kind of perfect for that because they have a steady flow of traffic that are just gonna, people in and out. You're going to see people from all segments of the community. Our first mobile newsroom, I think it was a, it was a voting primary season. So people were coming there to vote. So they were there out of, anyway. And people would just kind of wander in. Uh, I guess the only, <laughs> I would hardly call it a drawback, but it was actually hard to actually do any work if you were actually <laughs> at the newsroom. Uh, so we had uh, at least two, sometimes three people in there at, at one time. So it wasn't the whole staff. It was just like a couple folks. I felt we got a real good, warm embrace from the community uh, for doing that. People were just happy to see us out there. What type of stories came out of this? Well, first, let me start with one of my favorite stories that we did last year. It was something that wasn't on our radar at all. And this came out of one of our listening sessions. It's about a neighborhood in Fayetteville, historically black neighborhood called um, Savoy Heights. It's an you know, older neighborhood and they're worried about losing their character, losing. I don't know that gentrification is an issue quite yet, but they're worried that it's kind of seeping in and that might become an issue we didn't really see that as an issue in Fayetteville, and that kind of put it on our radar. So I was really pleased to see that. Okay, so you started covering these new things, telling different types of stories. I mean, what was the feedback you were getting? You know, was there a reaction? Were there, 
you know, sometimes when you covered something, maybe was there some sort of change in the community that it came out of it? I don't know that there's a change just yet. I can see a change in how people perceive us, though. They see what we're doing. They acknowledge. I have gotten really nothing but positive feedback from people, which is surprising. We tend to, you know, we assumed we'd get, you know, a bunch of pretty nasty comments. That's not the case. Right. Especially since we've explicitly made clear that one of our focuses or a primary focus for us is repair our relationship with the African-American community and serve readers in the Black community. We expected much more of a pushback, honestly, to that. And I agree with Beth, it's it's been a pleasant surprise that it's really been embraced. You know, there is some real harm in how we covered or did not cover the Black community, both crimes of omission and commission. And so one of our biggest skeptics a community activist was very plugged in. We were having a meeting with African-American leaders from, you know, the whole spectrum. And we just asked them point blank, do you think we're on the right track and that we can get this right, that we can improve, cover the Black community better in a more broader and fair perspective? And she spoke up before anyone saying that she was very optimistic about the way things was going. And that was that was good to hear. And every year we we put on a 40 under 40, top folks under 40. And, you know, it's always a very popular feature for us. And generally, just because of the city we're in, which is currently it's a majority minority city, it's about what, 40 percent white death and 42 percent African-American as a pretty large Asian population. So we always get a diverse list of nominees, but Beth has noticed that we are getting more African-American nominees and lots of votes for individual nominees. So we believe that is directly tied to the community seeing that our coverage is sincere. It is broader we are trying to reach different groups of people, and we believe that's one one visible sign of that. One of the things that I deal with in my own job is, you know, people just don't understand what newsrooms do. People don't understand why reporters you know, write a story a certain way, why they report a story a certain way. And, you know, I always think, you know, transparency is the greatest thing in the world. I mean, any opportunity to explain your process, any opportunity to say, oh, yeah, I, I didn't cover this event, not because of whatever political reason, it's because I wasn't aware that it was it was happening. And, but of course, that's down to me to have, have determined that that was something I should have covered. So people jump to a lot of conclusions when they don't know what you're doing. And I think that speaks to the, the trust issue. It's nice that you're getting feedback on an initiative. You know, that's showing that people recognize that you're making that step. And that if they participate in that dialogue, that, you know, something positive can come out mm-hmm. of that. They see we're listening. I mean, they, there's, there's yeah. proof. <laughs> yeah. Oh, no. For sure. That's super, super important. Now, part of this whole thing is that you have partnerships as well. What were some of the partnerships that you did? You know, how did you identify people you wanted to partner with? The partnerships aspect of it, which it's really interesting. When we went into this whole thing, we... We were thinking, you know, we should partner with people. We can, you know, we can always use, you know, some more help. But that wasn't our main thing. We were looking at some some other strategies, which we employed, the mobile newsroom, everything like that. But partnerships was a surprise success for us. It was probably the most successful aspect of everything we did last year. 
I would say the first partnership that we made was with WIDU and Myron can talk more about that. They have a large African-American audience. Their format is gospel and in news, local news. Those are their, those are their two things. And so they've been around for many years. Myself and my two older brothers have had a regular radio show on there on Fridays for many years. So we kind of had that connection. Then I would appear on some of their election coverage. So it was kind of a natural partnership for us to seek. And it was a classic case of before we could get the partnership going like we wanted it or like both sides wanted, we had to address some past harm. There were some promises made not by Beth and I, but from previous leadership teams at the Observer to WIDU that were not followed up on. So there was some healthy skepticism. They weren't always the easiest meetings, but we always left having learned something. And I felt with a strong basis for a partnership. And since then, we've seen all, all kinds of dividends. It's been it's been a win-win. We've partnered on election coverage. You know, I've been moderator of some of our debates or community forums, and they've promoted those. We've done interviews on WIDU where we had, you know, our whole reporting team really participating in, you know, interviewing folks on WIDU. And of course, we were promoted. And that led to we now have a regular biweekly show where we can talk about our content because it fits right in with their local news angle. So it's really been, really been great for all sides. Okay. So given your early interest in, in music, you weren't busting out any jams or <laughs> no, you know, doing any breaking. Was that what the, your brother's show was about? Your, your no, brother's? we actually, on our show, we actually talked about more like kind of national issues. It is kind of, we probably had the only non-local show on the whole station, but it definitely ha has been great. It's a family-owned station. The federal government started this program where smaller stations could get an FM signal, you know, for either low cost or almost nothing. And so they did that. So they go all the way down from Fayetteville to Myrtle Beach, which is, you know, well, well south of here. So it has been really a really great partnership for us. Now, one of the big barriers that, you know, there are a lot of newsrooms that are talking about that, what you've done, which is we need to shift our focus. We need to reach uh, a black audience. We need to reach a, a more diverse audience. But part of that equation for a lot of newsrooms has been staffing. Have you made a different approach to how, you know, diverse your, your uh, newsroom is? We are absolutely committed to interviewing a diverse candidate pool. I mean, you have to, and that's something that's, you know, that Gannett also does. I mean, that's, that's nothing new. That's what we do at Gannett Papers. But there have been staffing cuts. We don't have as many people as we used to, but we do take diversity into consideration because it matters. It matters that your newsroom reflects the you know community that you live in. Myron, Myron said this one time, he said in a note in someone's story, and this just really resonated with me. White is not the default. And I think, you know, for, well, we all, you know, go to our own default, but if you have too many people who look exactly the same or who have the same life experiences in a newsroom, that is going to be your default and you're not going to explore these other stories that are important and to tell in your community. Yeah. It has been a challenge because of, you know, things that are way above the Federal Observer level. So when we lose a reporter uh, of color, it's not 
great <laughs> you know, to us because we do kind of lose that connection. As Beth said, you know, it's something something that we're committed to. We're aware the diverse staff will just by nature tell more diverse stories. And I will say this about, you know, we actually do track the audiences that we're trying to reach out to. We track it, you know, digitally through our software. So we have we actually have a, an actual tag that we use that can tell us how we're doing with the core audiences that we're going going after. Those have been pretty favorable, wouldn't you say, Beth? I mean, so Absolutely. And one thing I think that it's very interesting to see is we always hear that crime, you know, that's what people want to read. That's all people care about. And we can see that reflected in the numbers. Obviously, people are going to read crime. But a lot of what we heard from people in our listening sessions in mobile newsrooms was that they wanted to see more stories about Black excellence. They wanted to see more stories celebrating Black joy. And we took that to heart and we implemented it. And the stories do great. People want to read this stuff. They're interested in it. And it's not just fluff. I mean, when you say Black excellence, there's plenty plenty of great, you know, and good news that's not, not just filling space and making people happy. <laughs> Right. Yeah. In addition to the what readers, you know, would tag as a positive story about the black community, it really comes down to more. And just me as a black person, I could say you want to see a broader representation of what goes on in the community. It might be a sad story. It might be a story of an African-American who was wronged in some way, but it just shows a more fuller picture than, you know, this crime was committed. And, you know, this other person was elected to office. What they want to see is, you know, to be frank, just Black life depicted like anyone would want. In other words, the way the, the majority community has been covered, African-Americans want that same kind of coverage. And that makes sense, you know, when you think about it that way. And that's what we're, we're striving to do, to present the whole spectrum of life for, for everyone that lives in the city. So, you know... With the success you, you seem to be having with this, you know, what what would advice would you give to other newsrooms who are trying to diversify their coverage and build a connection with their audience? First off, it's just incumbent on you to reach out. You have to start the work. Can't wait for people to come to you. Because, you know, I mean, especially with newspapers that have been around as long as us, they there could have been considerable harm done. So you're gonna have to to reach out. Be prepared to listen. There's a lot of listening involved in this. I yes, <laughs> uh, <laughs> and don't take it personally. I mean, I think we we get very defensive about our work. If you know, if they if they have criticisms, people have criticisms that are valid. Take them into account. You need to take them back to your to your new staff. You also need to be really intentional about your coverage. When we have weekly one on ones with our reporters, we are you know intentionally making sure that we are covering the diversity of our community and and not just the the black community now we're seeing gaps in our coverage in other communities too so we're trying to address those with the hispanic community the lgbtq plus community too so our reporters are cognizant uh, of who they're writing for yeah i would underscore yeah you need to have thick skin when you ask people's opinion about the coverage they're going to tell you and some of it's not going to be great to hear but it's important to hear. Now I will balance that out with, it's not going to be as bad as you think either. Because when we have a listening session or we have a mobile newsroom, the people who really hate us are not going to be coming by, honestly. You know, the people who have just given up on the paper. 
the people who are coming to talk to you, they may have a criticism, but they still believe in the value of, A, just having the paper in the community and the observer.com in the community, and B, on some level, they believe the coverage can improve. So they're your allies, even though it may not seem that way <laughs> initially. And so, yeah, I would just underscore, just have a thick skin, but also understand that this is constructive criticism and that it benefits not only our organization, but but the community as a whole. Exactly right. They're trying to help you do what you set out to do, which is to make yourself better. So yes, listen to them. I've been talking to uh, opinion editor Myron Pitts and lead editor Beth Hudson, both of the Fayetteville Observer, on some of the strategies they use to grow trust among the Observer's black readers. Myron and Beth, thanks for coming on the Better News Podcast. Thanks for having us, Michael. Enjoyed the conversation. Thanks so much, Michael. It was wonderful. Thanks for listening to Better News, a co-production of the American Press Institute and It's All Journalism. API's Better News Initiative offers strategies and case studies to help transform newsrooms. You can find out more about the Better News Initiative and this podcast at betternews.org.